You're listening to Two Sides of Phi, a podcast that follows two lifelong friends as they seek financial independence and to retire early. I'm Eric, and I'm joined by my friend Jason, who reached Phi in 2020. And this is our story. Jay, we're talking about setting our financial house in order. It's it's the act that when I when I when I did this, one thing I felt like a true adult for the first time in my life, and then I reverted back to my infant self. Uh, <laughs> I have a feeling you felt like an adult at other times since you were eighteen, but we'll I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Very very few times, yeah. So setting your house in setting your financial house in order it means what to you? Well, I like the adage, um, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, which Uh famously was said by Mike Tyson. And for me, that means, you know, you can get all your ducks in a row with your finances and your job and think about your path to financial independence and so on. But things happen. People get injured. You know, you know, the house catches on fire. Somebody passes away. There's some pretty tragic things that can happen. So for me, it's about making sure you put the right protection in place and the plans that will help you deal with as much of that uncertainty as possible, because you certainly can't plan for everything. Right. Right. I, I mean, that's a tra- concept. What, what do you think? I guess I have kind of have the advantage of, you know, you being a friend of mine who went through this process working with financial advisors who were actually more than financial advisors, right? They looked at the totality of your estate. When I think of this, you know, I I think of like estate planning or life planning. And really that's what it's about. It's a, as you said, planning for eventualities. It's the reason you have insurance, um, whole ton of things that when I spoke to you about this, I was like, Oh yeah, I'm not thinking about that, (laughs) you know? Um, but I'll tell you the, the one reason what, which really refocused me on, estate planning and, and thinking about this was the pandemic because, you know, suddenly I I never really thought too much about me being incapacitated or dying or being on a ventilator or something. But COVID I think has kind of changed the, the landscape of this. So if you're a young person listening to this, you know, you're in your twenties, thirties on the path, but you know, thinking about healthcare directives seems far away. COVID should refocus you on this. And especially if you've built any kind of asset pool um, or you have children, you know, it just, it pays to think about this. Yeah, it's it's a good point. And I, I think uh, a kind of shock to the system like that is uh, probably a great example of why people start thinking about this. I mean, for me, Honestly, it didn't. It was not like you came to it much later than me. I was probably 40 years old when I had that conversation (laughs) with a financial advisor and they said, "Okay, yeah, we've looked at the money stuff. But how about everything else? Um, You know, what's your life insurance situation? Do you have a will, advanced health care directives? You know, have you thought about a living trust and so on? And as soon as they started to explain the why of all those things, I mean, I had a will, but I didn't have any of the other stuff they said. Right. I just felt like a complete idiot yeah. because I had a, I had a kid, right? You have children. <laughs> yeah. uh, I have assets and I, I'm married and I have a family. And I had apparently done the bare minimum like of preparation. And, funny, and that yeah. was a shock. I'm glad I got it. But man. Yeah, I remember uh, my sister-in-law and, and brother-in-law um, – they came to us one time before they were traveling and they're like, yeah, we're, we're going on this long distance trip and we're just going to, we want to hand you the will kind of thing. So they had done up a will yeah. and they, I think they just used an online kind of boilerplate thing. Um, and I, that was the first moment where I was like, 
oh, I should probably have one of these, you know? So I remember going on legal zoom and just kind of doing one of the, to fill out the, the tick boxes online. And yep. like, it felt adequate at the time, but even at the time I was like, this doesn't seem like the thing to really cheap out on, you know, did you, is that the kind of will that you had sort of? Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah we okay. found something online, you know, years and years ago. I think we actually might've even had the foresight to do it before we had our daughter. So pretty early in, in my relationship with my wife, but yeah, it was something we found online and, and did ourselves. It wasn't notarized or anything like <laughs> right, that. Totally. So yeah, <laughs> it was a bare minimum. I suspect it might've helped somebody and neither you or I are lawyers and are not giving legal advice here, but I suspect it would have helped in probate proceedings, but I suspect someone could have torn it apart. Uh, I have no idea. Yeah, totally. When would you recommend someone start looking into estate planning? Because like you said, 40, I came to it at like 46, maybe Yeah, <laughs> 47. <laughs> it's a tough question. I mean, I'm, I'm admittedly a bit of a, an over preparer okay. in many respects, yeah. but I, I was just kind of floating some ideas today among some of the online communities I spend time in because I was thinking about recording this show mm -hmm. and I made the, the statement, you know, if, if you have any interest in what happens to your assets, your belongings, if you suddenly die, for example, you should have an estate plan, right? Because you know, it doesn't matter your age. If you really want certain things to happen to the things you own and possess, well, then you'd better make sure they're taken care of because you don't want the state, you know, the court system to decide those things. And and maybe to get into your question a little better, the the nature of it and the sort of expansiveness of it may well scale with your assets, for example. And right. some states have different probate systems based on different sizes of assets. I believe in California, $150,000 yeah. defines whether you're on like the fast track or the full you know, process, which is, of course, a public process when it comes to probate. So it's really low. I, I mean, that that was shockingly low, I thought, for yeah. for a state. But it but it does raise that issue that like I'm. I want to do things DIY for the most part, you yeah, know, sure. like, and I feel like that's bitten me so many times. <laughs> and, and this is one of those situations where when I actually started doing the estate plan and we talked, we got a, you know, a referral to a local lawyer who specializes in this. And, um, when we had that meeting, it just opened my eyes to all the things, all the reasons why you don't DIY something, because the questions she started asking us were, not something LegalZoom would have asked me on like a little radio button, right? I mean, yeah. these kinds of things are very personal to your situation and they can be very nuanced and they can, you know, essentially enact your will from beyond the grave, um, which is a very powerful thing and, and can be very helpful to uh, your loved ones that you're leaving behind. Um, and so I think this is not a thing to DIY. And as we get into talking about costs, it can be very, I mean, cost effective. Like this, this isn't Completely. like multiple thousands of dollars. It can be, I suppose. Um, but let's, let's maybe zoom out and, and talk about what, when we say estate planning, what is included in estate plan? Yeah, it can mean a lot of things. Uh, you know, I think the things I hear most commonly talked about are some kind of will, uh, advanced healthcare directives, powers of attorney, and and often that means both a durable power of attorney. We can talk about this, and uh, one for making healthcare decisions. Right. And you can also have more comprehensive structures included in there, like a living trust. That pretty much summarizes all the documents that we've created as part of our estate plan. 
and it does bear repeating that like this is not legal advice i mean hopefully people know this by now but we we are not doling out legal or estate planning advice like this is just beyond our purview but we're just kind of talking about our own personal situations and kind of you know our experiences working with you did you work with a lawyer to draft these documents i did yeah okay And, and and to add to your point uh, it's certainly what I learned is that the laws are different in different states yes. and that matters a lot. And there's, you know, reasons in some states, the living trusts are even more popular than in others, um, for specific reasons that have to do with how your state handles probate and other aspects. So yes, for me, I did, uh, go to a lawyer and I kind of stumbled into this to be perfectly frank with you, Eric. Um, <laughs> that doesn't sound you know, like I, you, man. <laughs> Well, I'll explain. So I, I had this meeting with my financial advisors where I, I left feeling very humble about the whole thing. And Lori and I, you know, my wife and I were talking about what to do. And, you know, I started doing some research online and uh, I'm thankful uh, for those resources. They're great. And I stumbled upon this idea that, you know, many company benefit plans offer a legal uh, option and it's oh, okay. usually relatively inexpensive. Um, and if you sign up for that, generally things like estate planning are included in coverage. And oh. so... I went and looked at at enrollment time, and in fact, it was something like I think fifteen dollars a pay period or thirty dollars a month for this legal coverage, and so three hundred and sixty dollars a year. And in fact, estate planning was covered. Oh, There's some kind of wow. ancillary costs that it could be added in for documentation and stuff, but. I basically signed up for the plan, found estate attorneys in my area, called up a couple and just set up an appointment with someone cool. based on, you know, that interaction. So it ended up being a really inexpensive way to get something really important where you'd want the guidance of a lawyer. How about you? You mentioned that you had a referral. Yeah, we talked to a number of people. Um, so just asking around friends, family, you know, people who have done this before. And the name that came up most often was this one lawyer, not too far from us. And so we just made an appointment and, you know, told her what we were interested in doing. And the, the process was, uh, it's probably similar to yours. We, you know, we scheduled this time to meet and she asked us a bunch of questions. So it was like this interview process and I don't know, it's maybe hour, hour and a half interview. And then, um, you know, we had some decisions to make on the backside of that, but you know, overall the process took like maybe two weeks to draft all the documents between the backs, the back and forth and signing things and notarizing and all that. But I mean, it all happens in house there. Um, and for me, the costs were a little different. I think it was around $1,500 for that, um, to draft those documents. And we can talk about exactly, you know, you and I have different setups here and, and it'll be interesting um, cause I've learned some things in the interim since I've signed my, <laughs> my will. Um, and, and it sounds like you, you maybe got a little more better advice than I did, but, um, I, I'm, I'm, I was happy when it was done. It felt like, like I said, the most adult thing I've done in probably the past 30 years, you know, um, just because I knew, I knew it had to be done, but I kept kicking the can down the road. Like, eh, not nah, doesn't feel that important. Um, well, so, let's talk about that, yeah. Eric, because I, I think, I suspect there's some common reasons why people kick this can down the road. For you and Laura, are there anything that you kind of can recall or maybe why you put this off, you know, the the will and all those other things associated? Yeah, I presumed that this was for the uber wealthy, <laughs> to be honest, because I thought we don't have much. We've got a house. We've got a couple of vehicles. That's easily going to be settled through probate court and just yeah. divided amongst our heirs, you know. And um, I think all of this is about 
kind of planning and making a plan for that. And we're going to talk about that in more detail, but that was, that was the number one thing. The number two thing was, uh, I knew I didn't really want to DIY it, but then I also thought if I hire a lawyer, this is going to be like five, six, seven grand mm-hmm. to do it. And I, so yeah. the cost was a little bit of a deterrent. I'm just going to be honest um, at that point. But, you know, when you reach a certain net worth, the cost is inconsequential. It's such a small percentage right. of that net worth. Um, and for all the protections that it affords, and once you actually step into this and start having this meeting and you see all the things that it encompasses, it's so worth it. I mean, $1,500 uh, to make all of these things happen and to execute your will yeah. um, is is definitely worth it. Why, why did you guys put it off? Was it just not top of mind? Or? I think all those reasons you gave are really good ones. Another common one that I'm sure, at least in the back of our minds, was playing uh, into the, the sort of decision to not take any decisions was you have to confront some pretty difficult That's true. Um, concepts like your own mortality right and i like many people have you know a lot of existential dread (laughs) that uh, makes me not want to think about uh, my life ending you have to think about things that honestly couples have told me they've argued about like where should our child or our children go if both of us pass away suddenly you know Uh, i wasn't even thinking about those things though jay until the interview process they're like hey you know one of the things like and maybe i should have been but one of the things in that interview process was like you know she brings up that question like what happens here and and we didn't agree. <laughs> I don't know if you agreed, but at first, you know, we're having this discussion and Laura's like, well, of course it's this person. And I'm like, well, no, of course it's this person. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah. So those are, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, man. <laughs> yeah. We, we, in that, on that question, we did agree, uh, which okay. was great. Uh, yeah. because as I understood it from our attorney, more often than not, people disagree and yeah. they have to go back and really think about that. And some of the other questions, you know, Um, so I think that can delay things or at least make it uncomfortable enough for many people to not deal with it. And that, that makes sense to me, right? I mean, it goes back to the quote that I said earlier on, we all have this like life plan of what we're going to do. And by this age, it's going to look like this and our kids are going to go off to college and blah, blah, blah. But (laughs) one of the things that lawyers and state attorneys in particular are trying to do is make sure that you've thought of some of those uncomfortable possibilities and you planned for them as best you can. Yeah. It's like accidents, incapacitation. Like, I mean, death is a real possibility in a pandemic. I mean, even sure. if you're a young person, there's so many things that can happen. Um, and you know, I mean, we'll maybe get to this later, but in terms of your kids, like what if, what if your kids are, you know, what if they're drug addicts when they're supposed to inherit all this money? I like you that may be something that happens, right? So you have to sure. think through these things. And and also who's, I mean, even just basic things, like who's going to be the executor of your your will or the trustee of your trust. Um, those, are, those aren't actually easy decisions, many yeah. of them. And um, I, I think the fact that that is true um, also means that if you don't make those decisions, uh, while you, you know, you don't think them through and have the discussions and come to some kind of resolution. The flip side of that is someone else has to, and Correct. it's either the court or it's your heirs or, and it's just, it's just leaving things to chance that can make the situation, which is probably already going to be difficult enough, it just yeah. more difficult. And I don't know. I guess maybe that's one of the reasons why I say, yeah, I felt more adult-like than I ever have in the past because, yeah, you have to have confront. Okay, what am like? How do I want to handle life support? 
what does that mean? Like, what does that actually mean? And yeah. what does my spouse want? And it's like, just bringing up these conversations, which are difficult to have and difficult to imagine yourself in. Um, Completely. Yeah. And, and I don't know, some of this was also brought on by, you know, my folks being in positions where, you know, their health is healthcare is an issue and there's difficult decisions being made. And it's just seeing how they work through it. Um, made me realize that it, it is really important thing to do. So I guess, um, the, the interview process for you then was you, you did, was it like an hour or was it a similar kind of thing? Did they sit down and say, Oh, what do you want? And what do you what do you do? Or do they just say, here's what we recommend? We did sit down and have a conversation about the different options. She understood uh, a lot. I think she gave us a, our attorney gave us a, basically like a simple worksheet. Okay. We filled out some details about our assets and our, our lives and our family. And then we brought that, you know, we sent that in as pre-work and then we sat down and we had an exchange and there was lots of questions asked of us. And during that time, our, the attorney explained to us various options okay. and why, for example, based on what we were telling her, that a um, living trust made really good sense for us to consider in addition to the other documents that, that we mentioned that, that we're going to talk about here. And, uh, so, and then it was on us to decide if we wanted to do that or do something else. It's essentially, it's a container that your assets are put into. That's kind of how I think of a trust. Is that right? Yeah, you're effectively creating a legal entity or a person, if you will, that has the power to buy and sell its own assets. And you put the things in your life of value, of, of monetary value, like your your home, your investments, etc., within that trust. And you build a rule set, a set of laws, basically, to define how that trust will operate Um in the event of one or both of the trustees in the case of a couple like ourselves, right? Me and my wife are no longer living or are incapacitated. Right. And the, it is created the moment you sign the, the documents, right. To create the, the trust. It's not like, you know, it, it a, a will is executed upon your death. Like it's a trust is in force the moment you sign yep. the documents. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And, and a trust has a number of advantages uh, as opposed to just a will. Like a, a will is the kind of first step that we all think about, right? Everyone thinks, I mean, having a will is a next, a next action. If you don't have one, it's, it's actually as much as I joke about having one from legal zoom or whatever, if you don't have one, it, it's, it makes sense to just have a basic will enforced and in place. Totally. Uh, and you can do that tomorrow, uh, just from documents you download from the internet. Is it going to be the best thing for your estate plan uh, long-term? No, but no. I mean, is it possible that you pass away next week without having a will and then someone else gets to decide what you want? That's also possible. So I think the, the will is kind of that the first easy basic step, but the, the trust has a whole set of different protections and, and, and specifically, you know, I mean, I work with a lot of wealthy clients up here, uh, designing homes and nearly every property that I'm working on is owned by a trust. Completely. Um, if that tells you something. Um, and so it, that, that's kind of, I don't think it's necessarily reserved for the ultra wealthy. I mean, not you're not ultra wealthy, um, but certainly you can borrow the protections that the ultra wealthy are using. And, and, you know, one of the chief things that I think about are privacy concerns, right? Um, when your estate, you know, your will is enforced by the court, right? Probate court, that's a public proceeding. So everyone sees 
everything about your life, all the assets that you're transferring, who it's going to and what percent, you know, so it's, it's a part of the public record as opposed to a trust, which is not, um, that's right. Correct. Right. Yeah, it's completely correct. And, and, uh, you know, by extending that point a little bit, Eric, uh, a trust also ensures that in the event of your demise, the trust defines what happens to your assets, not the court. The so you right. don't go through the probate process. In fact, the trust defines as executed by a trustee, a person you have designated um, to carry out the wishes and the plans that you have stated inside of the trust and what happens to the funds with your beneficiaries, among many other things. And, and my understanding is that setting it up on the front end is more costly because you're, you're effectively incorporating, you know, assets into the trust, right? You have to, you have to name, put the assets into the trust. Um, there's a number of other setup documents that go along with creating the trust, but on the back end, you know, probate court and mm -hmm. lawyer's fees, that's not free either. So no. if you just have a will and it's going through through probate, there are costs associated with that. And, you know, I've heard from two to 4% of your estate could possibly be wrapped up in that. Um, Completely. And I find it hard to believe that two to 4% of your current net worth could be uh, expended creating the trust on the front end. And certainly- no. I think as the case, you said it was like something like $350 for you right. to, to establish right. yours, which I think is probably on the far low end of what it actually yeah. creates. You know, if you went to a lawyer, it would be more than that. But I mean, if let's say it was a couple thousand dollars, that's exactly that's the range. That's small money. Um, Precisely. And updating it is very easy. You can make simple amendments and just, you know, insert them in the plan and make sure the people that need to have copies of them have them. So it's a pretty easy document to update. And even if you wanted to make substantial changes to elements of it, for example, at what ages your beneficiary should receive what percentage of your assets. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's a simple process to just, you know, get the language drafted right with your attorney and get it signed and notarized. Yeah. So what is the what was the process for you establishing the trust? Did you have to pull together all of your current assets? Like, are you retitling um, your your cars? Are you changing the deed, uh, you know, for your house? Like, how, how does all that work? Yeah, at least for us, and some of this may be California specific, um, the cars, they didn't recommend retitling because that's easily done okay. um, at the, you know, after, you know, one passes away, you can get them in the name of the trust. But, you know, if you may need to retitle your house, um, there was something like a $75 fee for that, uh, if you need to do that. But moving, you know, your assets at your brokerage, you know, Fidelity or Schwab or Vanguard, that's very simple to do. And by simple, I mean, there's some annoying paperwork you need to fill out and send in okay. sometimes you need a signature from one of their representatives on it, but it's not difficult and it doesn't cost anything. So you are so no yes, longer you're the, you're no longer the owner of those assets. The trust owns those assets. Is that correct? That's correct. It's a little confusing because while you're still alive, for example, in the way ours is structured, my wife and I are co-trustees and everything flows through from the trust to us. So, for example, okay. we're still the ones paying taxes right. on that living trust and, and are able to access the proceeds at any time. But as far as the brokerage is concerned, that after tax account or what have you is in the name of the trust and the deed of our house is in the name of the trust. That's correct. Okay. So, cause I'm thinking like, well, what if you want to get, you know, a HELOC on your home? <laughs> like how easy is that going to be in, if it's sitting in a trust? Like, do you have to pull it out of the trust and 
I don't know. It seems complicated. I, I suspect it's not. I haven't done exactly that, but I have refinanced a house, that, uh, a mortgage oh, okay. that was uh, that was within the trust, and there was nothing uh, onerous about it. It was the same process I've done before. We just needed to make sure that the title was in the correct name um, for all of that. So that wasn't a big deal, no. Interesting. I, I was wondering, um, what happens like for real estate that's in a trust? Do you get a step up in basis at at death, do your heirs get that? So I believe bases reset, uh, yes, upon death okay. uh, is what I understand. I was okay. reading about that just earlier this week. Okay, yeah, because you'd want that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, cost it's, basis uh, seems fair. Matters. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, it's it's interesting. The um, so I chose not to to do a trust. We have a our we have a will, and inside the will is a testamentary trust, which is kind of, so, uh, it basically says that, um, upon our death, a trust is created. Uh, we appoint a trustee, um, for our kids until they turn 25. So we, we were basically given the option to, you know, we could establish a trust. Um, and the decision point at the time was the estate was simple enough. Um, and we were fine with it being part of the public record, small money at the time, um, that we were okay not you know, spending the extra money up front to create the trust, but that we would have some of the benefits of that trust in that um, a trust would be created upon our death to ta- handle our you know, caring for our children until they were age 25. And so we okay. appointed a trustee for that. It's not uncommon, I think, uh, for that to happen, but it does not have all of the benefits of a true trust because it's still part of the public record. You know, you don't I get see. the privacy benefits of that, but you can still make these stipulations that you're talking about to prevent, you know, heirs receiving things if they're drug addicts, for example, or if you wanted to, you know, distribute 30% when they turn 25 and another 30% when they turn 30, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we chose to keep it pretty simple. Um, and our attorney actually recommended that we not, you know, disperse things until 30, the, the age of 35. And I was like, Oh, okay. wow. That's like, <laughs> it did raise some interesting questions and concerns. Like, d- did you yeah. guys make any of those stipulations in your trust with respect to your daughter? We did. Yeah. There's actually a couple things that are interesting that, and I think irrespective of which direction we ended up going, the conversation that we had with the attorney was completely eye-opening. You know, we thought yeah. about things, we were forced to think about things we had never considered. So to your exact question, and I'll give you another example, um, we decided to, uh, yes, allocate a certain percentage of funds at age 25, for example, when, when our daughter would be getting out of college, and then 30 and so on. Um, so that, you know, as one ages, perhaps your your needs and your abilities to make good financial decisions, right, <laughs> increases. Exactly. But, yeah. But the other thing that how'd you up, choose the age, though, I, before you go on, how'd you choose the ages? Ah, <laughs> uh, I mean, we had some conversations where we thought about, OK, getting out of college, you're in this position. Well, what about you kind of. Uh, at this age when you're maybe starting to think about having your own kids and what have you. And we just, I mean, it's arbitrary like anything, right? I mean, we came up with some kind of thoughts that guided that, but we can change it at any time. And, you know, when we do our annual trust review, 
that tends to be when we are our annual estate plan review. That tends to be when we have those conversations. So if your kid's um, like doing drugs that like <laughs> maybe smoking a lot of pot, I mean, I was pulling that out of thin air Yeah. at age 17, <laughs> you're like, uh, maybe I'll up the age a little bit. <laughs> maybe I- I'll tell you, Eric, our, you know, our attorney started raising, uh, thoughts that neither of us had ever had you know, oh, one, yeah. one that one that she said was well what do you want to have happen if just one of you dies because the way it's set up right we're co-trustees yeah, yeah. so if i pass away laurie is now the sole trustee oh yeah well what happens if she remarries or a family member gets in her ear and they start doing wild things with the portfolio, right? They liquidate everything and they put it into silver. Um, All of these things. She said, you know, have you thought about that? I'm like, well, no, my wife is rational and I hope she thinks the same of me. No, I haven't thought about that. She's like, well, honestly, something that I usually recommend is that you put a percentage of those assets upon one spouse's death immediately in the name of your heir. Oh, damn. Uh, So for example, just 25% of assets upon either of our death goes in our daughter's name. So there can be no bad actors influencing that because they literally have no ability to access those funds from that moment on. And, And neither of us had thought of that, but what a great protection against something you can't foresee even if we think it's ludicrous that's a really smart idea and we certainly would never have thought of that but they would still have a controlling stake in the in the estate not the 25 percent that's now reallocated upon the death of one of the trustees the 75 percent absolutely they could still do with it whatever they wanted as the sole trustee and, bad and actors. They, yeah. I love that. Bad actors. Yeah. And, and they don't use that phrase in there, but clearly that's what it's about from the conversation <laughs> we had. And I still remember it, even though we had this eight years ago, because I was just like, well, I've never thought of that. Yeah. Right. So Who you would? did. So you actually did it, huh? Yeah, we did it. 25% upon the, the death of either of us automatically goes in our daughter's name. Can't be touched. Dang. I got to get, I got to hire your lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll give you their name. <laughs> I'm seriously thinking about, um, establishing a trust. I'm, I'm going to, I'm probably going to do it. Um, because I just, I think it makes a lot of sense just for a lot of different reasons. And, you know, I mean, if things go well, maybe it's going to shield, uh, shield us from the estate problem too. Right. I mean, what's the estate tax kicking at, at 12, 12 million now? Yeah, I think that's correct. Per person? <laughs> yeah. Problems neither you and I have to worry about, but I recall <laughs> reading in a news article at some point that, you know, when people worry about the estate tax, the death tax, it yeah. doesn't actually take effect until it's like $12 million. Yeah. And, but I will, I mean, one point here is that that's what it is now. For mm-hmm. a long time, it was 600000 Like it was yeah. really, I don't know if you knew this, but it was like quite low. And then it was like $3 million and then $5 million And of course- recent, <laughs> recent bad actors have changed things, but, um, you know, now, now it's, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's scaled, I think to 12 million. Yeah. I think for 2022, which is just per person, which is just insane. But if it goes back down to a million, well, I mean, it's like a trust is a no brainer at that point. Right. Yeah. I, mean, I think so. Yeah. And, and, and as it was explained to me, you know, the, the, the pluses and minuses of either approach, it, it just made a lot of sense to me. And I, sure. I think I still would have paid a few thousand dollars for it, even if I hadn't had that legal plan based on the, the, my understanding of the benefits of, uh, you know, having a, a standard will type process versus a trust. Totally. Yeah. So some of the other things that we talked about, um, you know, healthcare power of attorney, um, that was, those are some difficult 
conversations. Do you, do you have your documents nearby? I do actually. Yeah. I, yeah, I just too. reviewed them this morning. So mine is called uh, power of attorney for healthcare. Um, so some, sometimes people call them healthcare power of attorney. I, what is yours called? I think it's called healthcare power of attorney. And then okay. at, uh, in the same section, I have advanced healthcare directives. Okay. Yeah. So in mine, I have, um, you know, you designate someone who's going to make decisions on your behalf, should you become you know, unable to do so. And, you know, basically a doctor makes that determination, but then, so I've appointed my wife to be that person. Um, and then I have, uh, an alternate agent I, I presume you have a similar kind of situation. I do. Um, and then it gives them authority to do all sorts of things laid out in this, this document. But then I, I come down to the end of life decisions. Do you have, do you have one of these, um, I do clauses in there. So I have kind of three choices, choice not to prolong life. Direction to stop treatment after physical cognitive limits are permanent and have lasted three months and choice to prolong life. So this is kind of like, I think of this as the kind of Terry Schiavo clause. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if you remember that case. I uh, do. Yeah. In Florida. Yeah. Um, what, what did you choose? Join us as the conversation continues next time on Two Sides of Fi. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating it at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For show notes, resources, and links to the video version, please check out our website at twosidesoffi.com.